This is the Weather Lounge here at Weatherworks. Hi there, everyone, and welcome back to the Weather Lounge. And we are coming to you from our Weatherworks headquarters located in Hackettstown, New Jersey. I'm your host, meteorologist Brad Miller, and I would like to thank you for taking the time out of your day to listen to our podcast. And joining me, as always, across the desk is my co-host, meteorologist Mike Mahalik. Hey there, Mike. Hey, how you doing, Brad? Good day uh, for you. Yeah, you know, it's, uh, we're into December already. Hard to believe. That's true. That's true. And, you know, geez, with December, it has me thinking about snow. Um, and, yep. you know, it, it brought back memories of some big blizzards of the past mm-hmm. that we always talk about, like the 1993 Superstorm and oh, the yeah. 90, 1996 blizzard. And, you know, I always thought, man... You know, 20, 30 years ago, I feel like when these big storms hit, roads were snow-covered, snow-packed, um, impassable for days. <laughs> and I feel like there must have been big improvements in the road maintenance uh, industry and the road departments because I feel like that's almost a thing of the past that you don't really see anymore. It, it is. I mean, I, I you know what? And it's, it's funny you say that because, I mean, I grew up in central Jersey. And to the to the dismay of a lot of kids these days, it seems like the roads get cleared off a lot faster. I can remember being off from school for like two or three days from a good snowstorm. But. Oh, more. I think uh, I think in '96 uh, I might have been off for almost yep. a week. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the, it's true. I think the roads and 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 they clear them down to the blacktop so much faster now, and you know, it's 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 so much different than like you said, 20, 30 years ago, and everything's up and running again in a day or two. Mm-hmm. And uh, the days of running out of milk and bread basically are over, Mike. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. It, it always seems like there's still a group that'll that'll run out uh, before a storm, you know, stock up on supplies, like they're going to be snowed in for, you know, two weeks or something. Um, but it's not really the case anymore. Um, you know, and I, I'm sure the road departments have made big advances when it comes to snowstorms and they're the ones out there working tirelessly you know maybe they need loads of coffee uh to keep going but uh (laughs) i mean i've been there i use loads of coffee right now um 12 hour shift to them is like four hours for us (laughs) yeah right now to give us a little more perspective on this we do have ken budd from washington dpw in new jersey um, to walk us through some of this new technology, some of the treatments they use, strategies that the road crews use in the wintertime. So he'll be able to lay that all out on the advancements of, uh, you know, getting rid of that snow in the wintertime. So don't go away. We'll bring in Ken right after the break. Hey, everyone, it's Mike Prianti from the Weather Lounge here, and let me tell you, dehydration is no joke. I went through it myself once, and it's not fun. You get headaches, muscle spasms, cramps, the whole nine yards. But proper functional hydration is essential for just about everyone. Sometimes, though, water may not be enough, and that's where Liquid IV comes in. They're the number one powdered hydration brand in America, and their hydration multiplier is something you're most likely missing in your daily routine. 
You don't even have to be a sports professional to enjoy it either. With just one stick, you can hydrate twice as fast than using water alone. It has three times the amount of electrolytes than leading sports drinks. It's made from non-GMO ingredients, and it's chock full of essential vitamins. I personally enjoy the passion fruit flavor, but there are other great refreshing flavors you can choose from as well. So whether you're out landscaping, plowing a parking lot in a snowstorm, heading out for that afternoon jog, or even just feeling run down, Liquid IV is your go-to source for all hydration and wellness. Get 20% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use code WEATHERLOUNGE, capital W, capital L, at checkout. That's 20% off anything you order when you shop Better Hydration today using promo code WEATHERLOUNGE at liquidiv.com. And welcome back to the Weather Lounge, everyone. Today, uh, we have a guest with us, and uh, his name is Ken Budd. He's the general supervisor of the Washington Township Department of Public Works. And uh, we had the pleasure of actually visiting uh, Ken and his crew and uh, Roger over there at Washington Township uh, a couple of months ago during our winter seminar. And uh, Mike and I thought it would be a good idea to maybe bring him on uh, to join us here on the podcast and uh, talk about, like uh, Mike was just talking about also uh, the, the advancements of, uh, you know, where the DPWs and the road crews have uh, come now in the last uh, several years. So, uh, Ken Bud, welcome to the Weather Lounge. Uh, how you been? Thank you for having me. Uh, things are well, and uh, we're in full swing uh, for winter now. Yeah, I, I could imagine so. We're into December, and, uh, you know, we're going to be just basically uh, going full bore here probably for the next uh, four months. So just give us a little background of, uh, you know, what you do at uh, Washington DPW and, you know, your history and, and uh, where you've been before this, how you got to where you are now. Sure. So uh, I graduated high school in 1995, and uh, my grandfather was a superintendent for another public works department. So I had that exposure, you know, as a child. And it was something that always interested me. So uh, when I graduated high school, I was hired uh, with Mendham Township Public Works. And I worked there until 2004 uh, when uh, I was hired by Washington Township. And I've been here, uh, been here ever since. And of course, this is New Jersey we're talking about. If everyone <laughs> Washington, I should have clarified that earlier. Washington Township in New Jersey. So. Um, which of course, you know, they get a lot of snow up there and, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's that time of the year, you know, I guess, like you said, you got your crews ready to go. I mean, you got your schedules ready and then just waiting on, uh, when to, when to, uh, react, correct? That's correct. And actually, uh, you know, we had our, we had our moment of realization on Monday, uh, when there were some squalls coming through and, uh, Monday morning, you know, everything was a hundred percent ready to go. Uh, just, just based on the, the reports that we got. So it's time. <laughs> right. Is, is that something that happens pretty much every year, Ken, where, you know, you, you start seeing the few flakes and then all of a sudden you're, you're like, Oh man, it's go time. <laughs> so, so ideally what you want to do is have everything ready to go sometime in November, you know, okay. November 15th as our date that everything should be a hundred percent. Obviously there's still other projects going on depending on weather. Um, some years, you know, November 1st, based on the forecast, uh, this year, you know, we, we were able to get basically through the entire month with nothing. And then, uh, you know, the local forecasts were really weren't indicating that anything was going on. Uh, we did receive the report from you and uh, got everything ready. And we actually did have some, some coverage up on the mountain, nothing that needed to be treated. 
but it was definitely, you know, it, it definitely was a reminder that it's, it's that time of year. Yeah, absolutely. Now, uh, Ken, uh, I don't, from the intro there where Brad and I were talking a little bit about, you know, man, 20, 30 years ago, it seemed like stuff was snow packed on the roads a lot longer. Now, are we seeing changes on your end as, as far as how you deal with storms? I mean, I'm sure there has to be ways that you deal with it that differ from what you did maybe in the late nineties. So what's one of the biggest things that has made a change in that time period? So definitely the, uh, the use of, of chemicals. Uh, when I first started, obviously I didn't have my CDL the first few winters, so I was just, you know, a plow jockey. Uh, when, when things need to be scraped off. I like that. <laughs> but when, uh, when I did get into a salt truck, uh, we used a mix of grit and salt and there was no chemical whatsoever. And it was, I mean, maybe 50, 50 mix, but it was a light, light mix. And, you know, you scrape the roads and you put the material down and like you're saying, you know, we would be leaving from a storm and we're driving on either hard pack or, you know, whatever the cloud didn't scrape off. That's, that's what's left. Um, Definitely, there was definitely a lot more uh, snow tires back then. Uh, when you're working on a road, you'd hear them coming. Uh, and that's something that you really don't hear anymore. Um, you know, every once in a while you hear something coming. It's like, what the, what's that? It goes by and it's like, wow, they have snow tires. That's cool. No, I, I can remember. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to age myself too here. But I remember back in the 80s, my parents, like in October, November, they'd say, all right, we're going to go put the snow tires on the car this weekend or go get the snow tires put on the car. And I was like, you know, back then I was like, okay, well, that, and now you don't even hear about that hardly. So that definitely all changed with uh, when I came to Washington Township. Uh, they had a completely different system. Uh, they were using pure salt with no grit uh, and they were using chemicals. So it was a big change for me. Um, and we've, you know, we made some advancements since 2004. And what, uh, and how we, you know, operate. So, absolutely, things have uh, things have definitely changed. Yeah. So, is it is it more of the pre-treatments, Ken, that have uh, started to tra- change things uh, for getting those pavements, you know, down to blacktop quicker, or um, explain what what goes on there? Yeah. So, in two thousand and four, we were doing no pre-treatments, uh, and that that started maybe ten years ago or so. So we have, we have an interesting um, setup in our town where we have, you know, we're spread out. We're uh, 45 square miles and we have a 520 foot difference between the valley and the mountain, the top of the mountain. And it's a, it's a very short distance. You know, one, our, our one road that goes through town, um, that's the difference on, on that road. So there's definitely a change you can see during the storms uh, with that elevation. Uh, but what we do is we we used to do a liquid application uh, where we would, you know, drop the the material on the road. Um, it wasn't a salt brine. It was more of a, a, a mixture of um, some other components that we purchased. Uh, but we would just gravity feed it onto the road and you would see those lines on the road like you see on the, the interstates. Um, we did that for a few years. Uh, and then we switched over to uh, more of a, a, a paste application. Um, we can get into that in a little greater detail, uh, but we, we still use that application today. 
Yeah, not to interrupt you, Ken. You you were talking about the 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 stuff you see on the road before a storm. You're talking about the brining, I guess. That's correct. And what what we found with it is the the product that we were using, and and this is true for some you know calcium products as well. Is if you apply it over a certain temperature, it's actually slip uh, slippery uh, until it dries. And we just you know we had mixed results with it. Uh, I know I've talked to people from other towns who they, they mix their own salt brine. Uh, that's what they prefer to use. It's all a matter of preference. Um, if you get 20 public works guys in a room, you're going to get 20 different opinions. So we, uh, you know, we switched over to this pace system. And if you're not familiar with that, what that does is there's a, think of a, a, a V box. So think of the leather V, uh, the, the salt will drop out the bottom and the spinner would be directly underneath that. Well, what the pace machine does, it's that same setup, except there's a trough between the spinner and the drop point. And the trough carries the material to the side of the uh, truck while it's being carried over. It's being uh, soaked with, uh, you know, we use a, a liquid calcium. And it creates, it's not a true paste, but it creates, you know, a very wet salt. And then when it's spread on the ground, it, it sticks. And then when uh, the, the traffic goes over it, it grinds it up and kind of works it into the pavement. It creates a bind with a bond with it, right? That's correct. Yeah. And, you know, I got to say, and, and Michael uh, concur with me on this, uh, the social media uh, aspect to brining in really anywhere in the Northeast is amazing because as soon as it's done by anybody or like, the, you know, the state uh, – even out here in Pennsylvania, PennDOT will do it. Um, and they'll say, oh, my God, look, Route 80 got brined. You know what that means? Or, or why are they brining today? Why? <laughs> what? You know, it, there's no snow in the forecast. Why are they brining? You know, it's just it's amazing what you'll see on, on social media, like on Twitter and Facebook, especially when uh, when you do see that kind of stuff and, and, the, and the, the response it gets uh, on the comments and stuff like that. And we, we get calls even now if. Uh... If we're pre-treating, you know, we'll pre-treat 12 hours before a storm and it, it, it looks like a salt machine. So it's going down the road, it's spreading salt across the road and people call and say, why are you, why are you salting? You're wasting material. Uh, and, you know, usually you can educate them and they understand, but to, to somebody who's just not familiar with it, it just looks like, you know, you're, you're using extra material. Right. And, and I think that's that's the important thing that uh, we need to know about when you do the pretreatments is that that pretreatment that gets worked into the pavement like you were talking about basically prevents the snow from bonding to the pavement. Is that correct? That's the only reason we're doing it is to create um, a barrier between the blacktop and the snow. Um, you always want to try to prevent that bond initially because once the, the ice is on that blacktop. Well, now you have to attack it from the top and you need to work through the snow or the ice or whatever to get to the blacktop. And at that point, you're just, uh, you're going to use extra material. You know, it's, it's, it's more time. It's, it's more dangerous um, because now you have the cars riding on top of this, you know, this surface. So you always want to try to prevent that initially. And in, in doing that, uh, once the melt, begins, uh, once you go into plowing, you can reapply at a, a much reduced rate just to keep that brine active, you know, keep it hotter. 
Right. And that's and that's why, you know, I just wanted to bring that up because I want uh, the public to understand that it's not that you're wasting product in any way. It's that you are allowing that snow not to bond to the pavement so that you don't get the hard pack so that when you do run those plows through, you can get down to blacktop much quicker uh, than you would otherwise. Um, so that that's what's that's the important thing about the pretreatments that uh, I, I like everybody to know, um, you know, because that's the reason why we're not stuck with hard pack for days and days and days afterwards, <laughs> like we used to be um, back then. And then if you do have the hard pack, like you said, you know, it's it's going to take more time. You know, you got to let that salt kind of sit on the snow. It's got to burn through it a little bit, loosen it up, and then you can probably plow it off. I mean, just from my experience in the past doing snow plowing uh, for a landscape. Mike, were you a plow jockey too? Yeah, you know, I I, t- <laughs> I know you were. I, no, I went to a Holiday Inn Express last night. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> no, no, I used to work for a landscaping company in eastern Pennsylvania. So uh, I have experience with plowing and salting and, and things of that nature, not to the level of, of Ken here. Um, but, you know, I do remember instances when we got called into, um, uh, it was a car dealership and for some reason their plow guys never showed up and we were doing the lawn care for the uh, business and basically it was snow and sleet that had some freezing rain on top of it. So the entire car lot was just a sheet of ice basically. And you know, we had to get that broken up and we couldn't get the plows under it. So the first thing that we had to do was throw the salt down and let that sit for a little while so it could start working and breaking up that, you know, that ice. And then we could start plowing it off. And even that, it was so slippery, Ken, I got to say, I was driving my plow truck down uh, the one aisle of, uh, F-150 trucks, and this isn't an ad for F-150s or anything, but, um, <laughs> product but placement, I was driving a 350, you know, whatever. Um, but anyway, um, so I'm spreading the salt out the back and I'm, I don't even know how slow it's going creeping down this aisle of that. There was a sheet of ice between all these F-150s. So I try to stop towards the end of the aisle in enough time, but the truck was not stopping and I'm going, Oh God. And I'm looking at a line of trucks in front of me and I'm like, Oh man. So start going sideways too. No, I didn't go no. sideways, okay. but immediately I threw my plow down cause I was hoping oh, that smart. it would dig in yeah. um, and, and stop me still wasn't really stopping me, but it, it slowed me down enough where at the very last, like I might've had maybe a foot or two before I was going to hit a line of trucks where it just kind of stopped for me. And I was like, oh. Does your old boss know about this, Mike? Do I need to email him? or? Uh, maybe <laughs> not to this extent. I might have said, ooh, I had trouble stopping there. Um, but I didn't say to this extent that, oh, my God, I almost hit, you know, three, four trucks at the end of that line. Ken, Ken do you have any uh, stories like that, I mean, uh, that you can share or no? <laughs> I, mean, I could I could fill the whole day up with... with uh, <laughs> I could imagine, with as long as you've been there, yeah. I mean, in, in that respect, we used to, the way we used to operate is 
you know, we knew it was going to snow and we would wait for the police department to call. You know, if it's going to start at one o'clock in the morning, everyone's asleep. The officers would see it start snowing, make the call. Um, obviously, we were not pre-treating at that time. So by the time you get the call and you're driving in, there could be, an, you know, an inch of snow, two inches of snow on the ground already. So now you're dealing with, you know, trying to get in. If there's an accident or if there's traffic stopping you, that's slowing us down. And then once we get in, you know, getting the trucks out on, on the Renzer and you're talking, it could be an hour to an hour and a half before the trucks on the road. And in that time, you know, traffic could be packing down whatever material is on the ground, you know, whatever accumulation is on the ground. Uh, so it just was, it was never really a good, you know, good situation. And now we, uh, we try to project when the crews start to eliminate that. Um, sometimes you get it wrong. And, you know, there's been mornings where we've been here at four in the morning and you're looking at, you know, a starry sky, uh, but there's no accidents, you know, everybody got in safe and then it's going to start. It just, maybe it starts a little later than uh, what we anticipated. Yeah. And that's something that with our storm alert products here at Weatherworks, you know, in our consultation and our heads up services that we try uh, our best to keep you guys uh, informed about the situation going on. When that snow is going to re- arrive, we give you those notifications, uh, you know, an hour or so before to give you that warning that, hey, snow's going to start in an hour so that you don't have to wait for the police officer to call you. Um, you know, or you're late getting in and you already got snowpack on the road. So, um, that's what we do uh, over here at Weatherworks to assist all you guys at the DPWs, um, to make sure your job can be smoother and hopefully save you a couple of bucks with, uh, you know, <laughs> budget and, <laughs> and time. That's, that's something I didn't never realize when you, you know, you mentioned budget when, when you're out on the road, uh, in a truck. You know, you're just trying to get your end clean. You don't want to be the guy to get the call. You know, you want yeah. to sure that, you know. Um, but once I, I came into this position, you know, the budget is a driving force for everything. You know, it all comes down to what the, what the costs are, where we can cut costs, um, you know, while maintaining an effective, you know, department and, and keeping that safety out there. So absolutely, you know, everything is budget minded at this point. So, Ken, if we want to talk a little bit more about um, the de-icers and things like that, I know there's um, different types of chemicals you may add to the rock salt to allow them to work at, at, at different temperatures. Because I know once you get below a certain point, rock salt isn't as effective. So what are the kinds of things you use to make it a bit more effective? So our department, we now use uh, a liquid calcium chloride and mix it with the, the rock salt. And that that gets us down, you know, a much lower temperature. I can remember if there was a winter where, you know, it was negative four, negative five in the morning. Um, and we had some spots that were, were freezing over and we put the product down and like, it didn't work as quick as it probably normally would, but as the day went on and temperature came up, it, it worked. So we haven't really had a need to, to use anything beyond this, this um, liquid calcium. There are other products out there that will, you know, are more effective or will lower the, the freezing point. 
uh, but we just haven't had a need for it. We, uh, we used to use a product and it's interesting. Um, it was a, a form of a brine. It was a 30% solution of calcium chloride, sodium chloride, magnesium chloride, and potassium. And there are agencies that are still uh, still using this. Um, it was it worked, uh, but what we were finding is uh, uh, on our liquid systems, there's little screens to filter the the material, and those screens would clog up in the middle of the storm, so that the, the driver would have to stop, you know, un, undo the screen, clean it out, and it, it just it slowed down the process. Um, and we, we assume it was because there were so many products in there, maybe there was some separation occurring or we, we never really pinpointed what, what the actual problem was. Uh, and then we moved over to this liquid calcium two years ago and it's, it's been working. It's been working for us. So, and then there's, you know, there's, um, there's some magnesium products out there and that'll get you down to, I believe negative 17 degrees is what I've read. Um, if you Google this, there's so many, uh, there's so many different charts and graphs and everything. It kind of blows your mind. <laughs> so. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of different things going on. I know you, if you're making a brine solution also, it has to be a certain uh, percentage um, uh, of the mixture to, to work most effectively. Um, and, and there's a lot going on there other than just saying, ah, oh, just take some water and mix it with salt and we're all good. No, no, it's gotta be just right. Okay, well, Ken, here, here's a, a question. How do you test this stuff out? Like, where do you, like of, of, of 10% of this and 15% of this or 20, how do you know what is the right, you know, concoction, if you will? So as a baseline, we have, we have some worksheets, uh, you know, we, we obviously calibrate our equipment. So we have some worksheets on, on how to do so. And you plug the numbers in, and, and you, that's that's a baseline. And some areas, you know, you just don't get the melt off, so you you adjust it a little bit. Uh, obviously, the drivers, you know, they want to have ultimate control, so they like to have a little more than what they probably should, just to get them out of certain situations, and that's completely understandable. Um, but we haven't, you know, we have it set now, so I, I believe we're using a hundred gallons of calcium during a storm. Uh, to 10 ton of salt, so about 10, 10 gallons per ton, uh, and we've had good good results with that, and uh, it it works out so that when they come in to refill salt, you know they're they're pretty much out of liquid. They can load up their liquid and head back out on their their run. Um, but but going to the percentages, we we visited a couple uh, departments that actually make their own brine. You can purchase it. Um, it's relatively simple to, to make yourself. We, we did look into it. I just personally didn't see the advantage of it. Um, you have to purchase the tanks to store it. You have to purchase the vault. It's basically just a big concrete, you know, a box to, to agitate the material and the pump to circulate everything and pump it onto, uh, into the tanks. Um, the cost just didn't really make sense for, for what you get for it. You know that our paste, our pasting works pretty well. So, but like you're saying, yeah, if you, you know, you, the mentality is, well, I'm just going to add a little more salt to this, make it hotter, and it's going to work better. And it's that's not the case. It actually will, will work. 
I'm one of those types that would keep on tinkering to try to get it even better. Then I'd screw the whole thing up. I was like, oh man, what did I do here? <laughs> I just, I mean, I, it just seems like it's so, uh, it's, it's, it's so intricate to, to try to figure out all that stuff. I mean, it's amazing that what you guys do uh, with all that stuff now. Yeah. And sometimes more isn't always better, right? Right. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, you, if you get it to where it's supposed to be, leave it alone. Don't fix if it ain't broke, right? <laughs> Is that the old saying? And there's, and there's, you could, there's so many options available, available to our departments where you can purchase the salt pre-treated from, from the vendor. It comes off the truck. It, it has this uh, bluish tint, you know, greenish, depending on what you buy. Um, it's, I think it's like $20 more a ton for that. Some departments will actually mix it themselves where they'll lay it out on the, on the lawn or uh, I'm sorry, in the yard spray it down with a hose, mix it with their machines and push it up uh, to save some money. Um, there's blanket sprayers where, you know, you load the truck with the salt and then you drive underneath this tube and, it, you know, it just basically drenches the salt in the truck. So there's, there's so many different options. And like I said, a lot of it's just a matter of what you prefer. So let's shift gears a little bit, uh, Ken. And we asked this to a lot of are people in the snow and ice industry that we have on the podcast, but what are some of your biggest concerns when it comes to a snowstorm? Um, what is the, the couple of key components um, that you're looking at? Is it start time amounts, uh, intensity, you know, temperature? There's a bunch of different things. Yeah. So a lot of times we're looking at the end of the storm first and and working back from that right and staffing wise i would imagine so too absolutely so our department utilizes two crews and admit, you know ideally you want both crews on at the tail end of the storm for cleanup so that we as soon as the storm's done we can get it done as, as quick as possible so we'll look at the ending time we will look at the amounts but once you get over three inches, you're plowing. So three inches or 30 inches, you know, it's the same process. It's just how long is it going to, you know, take, uh, obviously the duration of the storm. And then the start time is when we would, you know, try to figure out when to send a crew home for rest and when to get the other crew in uh, to start before it actually comes down. Right. Cause I'm sure you probably have limits on how long a particular crew can be out in the storm. Right. That's correct. Yes. Um, now, I don't know. Some people have different limits. To, I don't know if you want to <laughs> say what yours is, but. Um... Absolutely. Because so the limit that we have uh, in, in the union contract is 20 hours max with an eight hour rest period. What we found is in, in terms of coverage is if you have 16 hours on eight hours off and then you stagger that. So the second half of that 16 hours, that first crew is on their first eight hours. You're going to have 24 hour coverage for the entire winter. If, if needed, you know, if it's snowed for three days straight, you're always going to have coverage. You don't have to worry about it. You know, a gap of a few hours. Um, so 18, 18 on, I'm sorry, 16 on and, and eight off has, has worked out very well for us. Yeah, that's good that you have those. I, I, back in my uh, plowing days, uh, it was a little bit different uh, <laughs> where they just said, okay, go out till the job's done. And I had a 24-hour a, a um, 
strip mall area that I was constantly keeping open. I had to keep the roads open all the time. And yeah, I mean, 24 plus hours <laughs> out there plowing, salting. There are still towns that do that. And, you know, 12, one o'clock in the morning, hey guys, come in, you know, you get a few hours rest on a cot, you know, in, inside the building. And then 4 a.m., you're back out at it. Uh, plenty of towns are still doing that. We're just fortunate enough to, to have this faculty to allow us to. Yeah, I mean, that's 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 way better as far as safety is concerned and your employees and keeping them fresh. Because uh, I know there's once you get beyond a certain point, there's just no amount of coffee or anything that can keep you going. You just have to. Uh, just pull around the back of the site or something like that and take a break for an hour or two. Because- the first, my first winter with, with uh, Washington Township, you know, my old town, like you're saying, you know, you were there 30 hours. You got called the first flake and you didn't go home until it was done. So you were, you know, I mean, two, three days you're at work. And my first winter here, it was the middle of a storm. And they're like, all right, you know, see you in eight hours and just going home having a hot shower, having a hot meal. And even if it's, you know, four hours of sleep in your own bed, what a difference that made world, world of difference. Absolutely. And then, you know, you know, you go back home and this is what happened to me uh, one time where I laid down in bed and, and I said, Oh, thank God I'm finally done. And pretty soon my phone rings about five <laughs> minutes later. Like, hey, you got to go over to this warehouse and plow out the loading dock because, you know, they're having a lot of trouble. And I'm like, oh, man, (laughs) just when I thought I was out, it's like the the movie quote, just when I thought I was out, they bring me back in, (laughs) you know, and uh, I think that was the Godfather. Um, But, yeah, I mean, that's that's something that, man, not something I always enjoyed about uh, being on the plow side of things. Um, but so we, we talked about your snowstorms, what your most uh, important things are there. How does it change when it comes to ice storms? Um, I know when I say ice storms, it seems like a lot of our uh, snow and ice industry uh, clients seem to kind of shudder a little bit. <laughs> yeah, you never, you, you never want to see ice in a forecast. Um, so we actually do maintain a stock of grit just in case uh, it grit serves no melting purposes. You can saturate it in calcium all you want. It's not going to, you know, melt anything. Like, like my parents, when they used to throw down kitty litter on the driveway. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so if, uh, you know, if we do get ice, you always hope there's snow before it, uh, leave the snow on the road, let the ice accumulate on top. Once it's passed, you scrape it off. If you do get some compaction from traffic, you know, it's easier to deal with a little bit of that than, you know, scraping the snow off, having the ice come down. Once it starts, you know, freezing rain is a completely different animal. But once once you start getting that moisture on the pavement, regardless of how much brine you have, you know, it, it dilutes that. And, and then... Basically, you're just playing catch up, and you, we don't have enough material to address it for the entire storm. So, and, and that's a question that we sh- we actually get a lot in in the winter time from our clients is you know can I pre treat this? And if it's a rain changing the snow event, 
unfortunately you can't because even if you are going to get ice in, in between, which is usually the transition phase, whether you're going from rain to snow or snow to rain, um, you know, it's, you just can't pre-treat, uh, with, you know, you're going to get, yeah, we're going to get rain for a couple hours, but then the front goes through and we're going to change the snow at some point and there'll probably be some ice in between, but can't do anything about it and just kind of wait until the change is over. And then you have to do from that point. And timing is always critical in those circumstances because, you know, you're going to have traffic, you know, if it's clear in the morning, everyone goes to work and you know, you're going to have heavy traffic, you know, between five and seven. And you're trying to maintain your, you know, your main roads, um, but you're losing your side roads if you're focusing all your attention on that. So it, it, it's it's a very delicate balance between, you know, keeping everything covered, you know, keeping the public safe. You mentioned the diluting factor when it comes to the ice storms. It, it just seems like that has got to be a just material uh I'm trying to think of the right word here, but it's just sucking through your material so much and, and you just running through it, running through it, gets diluted, you retreat, you know, you run through it again. It just seems like those type of storms are not a very good situation when it comes uh, to the road department. No, and you could, so when you're in a truck, uh, you could see if you follow a car and there's, you know, a couple, couple inches of snow, if you see their tire tracks kind of pushing off the material. I don't want to say splashing, but you'll see it kind of moving off to the side. Um, you know, you still have, you know, a good solution underneath that. If you see the product or the snow sticking to the tires and kind of flicking up behind them, that's when it's starting, you know, starting to stick to the, the blacktop. Um, that's just kind of, you know, it's not a textbook or anything, but that's kind of, you know, a gauge. So, in that instance, you know, if you're if you're scraping everything off, um, you would just, like I said, just fifty percent of what it would be, um, you know, heat up that solution once once again, and you should be good for a while. Now, now it seems like we're going through a lot of you know tough scenarios here with ice and you know the the timing, the long so What is a? I don't mean to mean to make this in a, in like a make light of it because you guys do an amazing job in the roads. but what's like an easy snowstorm for you guys? Just, just to kind of think of more of a positive <laughs> thing. <laughs> so it's funny in the nineties, you didn't plow until there was three inches of snow. Right. And if there was two inches, like put your stuff down, it's going to melt tomorrow. Don't worry about it. And that, that has shifted tremendously where the expectation now is if the roads aren't black four or five hours after the storm, you're doing something wrong. Right. Like the, the tolerance to today is, is so. So, I mean, for us, the ideal situation is, you know, you're getting an inch or two, you go out, treat it with material and it, it melts off. That's nice. Right. Um, once you get to plowing, it's obviously more time. Uh, it's tough on the equipment. It beats up the roads. It's a completely different animal. So when it comes to plowing, Ken, is there any, um, I know some of our uh, snow and ice contractors who are more in the private industry might have like parking lots and things like that, that they have to bring out heavy equipment like loaders and things like that to pile the snow and take it somewhere else. Is there ever really a situation where you get into that or is it just, you know, mainly just pushing it to the sides of the roadways? So if we have, um, you know, storm after storm, 
if we have three or four storms in the course of two two weeks, three weeks, uh, and it, there's no melt off between those, that's when we you know we'll go out and we'll start pushing the intersections back, um, moving snow and cul-de-sacs to make room for the next next storm. Um, if we have a 12-inch storm, that's when you start getting a lot of that buildup, and then you get into site distance issues at the intersections. So we'll we'll send you know a day or two out after we'll send uh, some machines out to push those areas back. Yeah, I, I mean, I was just curious how much of a concern that was for you guys, but it seems like you just need multiple storms, which we haven't really seen lately. Um, so hopefully, you know that changes a little bit i mean maybe not maybe you're not looking for that type of stuff um but the the snow uh geese and and people who love snow always want to see a good stretch of a lot of snowstorms um but you know it's not for everybody (laughs) but one thing that we've noticed a few times um i this is kind of circling back to um, brining before things happening and people asking questions. And this actually happened, um, in, uh, Connecticut a few times for us where, um, something called pavement frost would form. So basically frost that would be on your car or on grasses or rooftops actually forms on the roadways. And here at Weatherworks, we did our, we do our best to try to forecast that for, uh, road departments, um, that that may cause a problem on bridges and things like that. Um, and we have them typically go out and, well, it's their decision, but they go out and typically brine these, these areas that are sensitive and then they end up with no problems. Um, so is that something that you've encountered at all, uh, over in, uh, Washington DBW or? We, we have, um, I always kind of attributed it to, to our elevation it's it's definitely prevalent in you know certain areas uh, but yes we we have seen that where there it's a moisture and it kind of you just see like the, a little bit of a glaze you know and it's it's uh, it's definitely slick we've also seen forecasts come in where we have freezing fog uh, that was a new one for me and that that would be interesting but it happened <laughs> it happened yeah and and basically what you, what you have is you have fog that's occurring below 32 degrees and if that fog is thick enough it could start making some slick conditions on the roadways um and you know it usually takes that thick fog to hang around for several hours um before we're really having any issues from it um but you know it, it seems like uh, Maybe I just wasn't aware of it without starting to work here at at, at Weatherworks, but I, I never really thought about you know uh, freezing fog and 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 pavement frost and things of that nature. Well, yeah, the, the pavement frost. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that that's that's the sneakiest one I think of all, if you want to call it that. It's just because it's usually when you come off of a very cold period of weather and you get that little bit of moisture advection like uh, um, Ken was just talking about, you know, it could be anything. It could just be dew points going up 10 degrees, you know, 
but yet your temperatures are still in the teens to 20s. And, uh, you know, but if that dew point's coming up to meet the temperature, it's not going to precipitate or anything. But there's that moisture advection, that increase in moisture. And with temperatures still well below freezing, you know, you get that glaze, as Ken said. And it could be clear as a bell. You know, where, where does ice come from? And, and we've, we've, we've dealt with that too, Mike, like you said, at Weatherworks and, and um, something we, we will send something out for it, even the night before sometimes to, to prep you know, folks the next day, if we think it's going to happen. And, and I'm sure, you know, pavement temperature plays into that. Correct. Absolutely. 100%. And uh, on, on Monday, when we had our, uh, you know, our squalls coming through, we don't have a, a truck mounted, you know, temperature monitor anymore. Uh, I, I use, you know, when COVID was going on, we had those handheld infrared thermometers. Oh, so right, right. I'm using one of these that we use for, you know, automotive repair or you know if you're looking at hvac stuff and i i, I went out on monday and all the shaded areas uh were, were the temperature on the pavement was 33 degrees and out in in the sunny areas it was 37 degrees well as soon as those squalls started the shaded areas covered up immediately and during the squall the the uh, 37 degree areas were you know, melting off right away. And as soon as the snow stopped, uh, you know, the shaded areas, it took a little while, but they slowly melted off on their own. But I mean, there was a, there was a big difference in pavement temperature, but it was so noticeable with the coverage. Well, you see that a lot too. And I'm sure you've seen it plenty of times, Ken, with overpasses and bridges. I mean, just, and, and we see it every winter where the roadway, like the main part of the road, before the bridge or after the bridge is just wet, but then right over the bridge itself, it's covered. And, and, and it, you know, a lot of drivers may not be able to adjust that fast. And they get on the bridge, like, oh my gosh, you know, it's, it's snow covered, it's icy, and it's too late at that point. Absolutely. Yep. I just wanted to circle back quickly to the, to the pavement frost thing, because um, I just want to make sure that everybody understands how it happens. And Brad, I think you did a pretty good job explaining um, but that's what we are looking for. We're looking for a stretch of very cold weather, um, followed by an increase of moisture and uh, an increase of temperatures at the same time, but still below freezing. So that's that's what's going on. And you can almost liken it to, you know, maybe if you had a, a glass or something in the freezer and then you take it out of the freezer, well, what happens? Well, the frost starts forming on the outside of the glass because it's hitting more moisture and all of that going on there. So that's kind of what's happening to the roadways because the roadways are really cold. You get that extra moisture and a little extra warmth in there. So you get the frost to start to form. Uh, and, and that's what's happening. And if you're not treated for that, uh, a lot of times a pre-treatment or something will take care of it, but it can get slick. I can remember a time where... Um, there was a ton of accidents on the LIE in Long Island um, in a pavement frost situation. And fortunately, um, we were ahead of that and we informed our clients in Connecticut about it. And there was no accidents or hardly any, I should say, um, because they went out and they went out to their bridges and they pre-treated things. Um, and those, those shaded areas, like you were talking about, Ken, they pre-treated things and that prevented any pavement frost from forming. Um, so that was one instance where, man, it was really, well, it wasn't great that there was accidents on Long Island. I mean, let's be real. 
Um, but it was it was interesting to see that being proactive like that and staying ahead of it and being informed actually saved a ton of problems for people. Um, so it, it's quite an interesting phenomena. Um, one that I never really thought of before working here at Weatherworks. Um, but, you know, we're always concerned about how, how we can help our clients and how we can keep them ahead of the storms. And so, you know, we think about, we're thinking about a million things at once, trying, <laughs> trying to get you guys the best information to make that decision easier for you. Um, and, and that is, um, interesting, Ken, you're talking about the shaded areas too. Um, because there's a lot of times where I'm sure you've seen this before, Ken, where it might be actually above the freezing mark, but you're still getting ice forming. And what's happening there is, is a lot of times, um, you'll have the air temperature that's measured at four to six feet or something like that above the ground surface, because that's where we are kind of hanging out as humans. You know, that's where we want to know what the temperature is, um, where, what our height is. So we measure the temperature there might be 35 degrees, but the temperature very close to the ground on a clear, cold night with no wind, uh, might be closer to 32 or those pavements could be even running colder than that. So if you have water down there, what's going to happen? Well, at the surface, you're going to get some black ice forming, but you're taking a reading up here at four to six feet. That's 35 degrees. So um, it's interesting, all of those. Sometimes a snowpack will help too with that, Mike. Even if you have a couple inches of snow on the ground itself, it, it'll refrigerate that lower foot. Uh, right, right at the surface versus, you know, like you said, where we're standing, you know, a couple of feet higher. So yeah, a lot of, a lot of different situations and the opposite happens too. When you have it below freezing during the day, um, and you get sunlight into, into the pavements, well, what happens? Well, the sunlight doesn't warm the air much, but it'll warm that blacktop better and allow things to melt back. So yeah, it's, it's quite interesting how these things go down and, um, you know, Ken, I, I mean, I really do appreciate what you guys do uh, for all the road departments uh, out there, for your road departments in general, um, and, and keeping those clears for all the commuter, commuters. Sure. It's a, it's a labor of love. <laughs> right. I have a question for you guys. Okay, go for it. So all the old timers used to say, it's too cold to snow. Those really like, you know, 15 degrees and the air is really dry. And they'd say, well, the only good thing is it's too cold to snow. <laughs> yeah. What's that about? Well. Usually it's, it's humidity, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's not really a true statement. So it, it's kind of like a half truth, right? Because, okay, when it's really cold outside and it's 9 degrees, 10 degrees, whatever. It usually dry Typically, as yeah, it's really dry. Um, in that air mass, at least here in the, in the Northeast. So, um, yeah, I mean, nine times out of 10, if it's that cold, it's not going to snow because you have high pressure overhead and there's really no chance of a storm. But, you know, in reality, it's never really too cold to snow because I've 
been in forecast situations up in New England when they were eight, nine degrees and they were snowing. Um, so yeah, I mean, it certainly can happen. It's just that most times when it gets that cold, uh, we have high pressure overhead, you have fair weather, right? dry air, and we're not really seeing anything, um, happen, but yeah, it, it's basically a, uh, it's an old wives tale kind of thing, um, has some truth in it, but it, it's not a, uh, as with most things, whether it's, it's not a. 100%, you know, put a stamp on it, it's not going to happen kind of thing. Yeah, but Virgo's a kind of a, a good example, not a good example, but it's, uh, and, and Ken, you could probably relate to this, you know, I'm sure you have a radar app somewhere on your phone, and you look at your radar app, and it may be like 25 degrees out, and it's cloudy, but, you know, dew points are down in the low teens, and you see like precipitation over you, and it's like, why isn't it snowing? Well, that's kind of the reason it, it's too dry to reach the ground. Now, it may snow an hour or two, after the, you know, the, the, the atmosphere can saturate enough to, you know, and then you get the flakes all the way down the ground. But that's kind of like the example of that when it's just so dry and it takes a while for that, uh, for that precipitation to actually reach the ground. You know, coming into this position, when you're, you know, when you're out on the road, you're looking at your, your phone, you're saying, okay, it's supposed to do this at this time. And you're looking at the radar and when's it going to be out of here. And now that, you know, I'm kind of diving more into the weather aspect of it. It's actually interesting. Uh, I believe Rob did a, a lecture for a professional association and he explained the way the, the radar works and how it, as it travels out, it's actually going at a higher elevation. So, you know, a hundred miles out, you're. Yeah. The, the, the radar beam, cause there's, there's main radars. I mean, there's some airport radars that aren't as powerful as the ones that, you know, are typically used at the weather service offices. And that, those are the big ones. And the ones that we're surrounded by is the one in Binghamton. You got the one down in Mount Holly in New Jersey. And then you got one all the way out in Long Island, which is uh, the National Weather Service in uh, you know New York. So, and, and unfortunately, we're kind of all in between all of that area. So the beam itself from all those radar sites are usually pretty high. I mean, granted, the Mount, Mount Holly one's the closest and you can still see snow, of course, on radar. But the beam itself is probably already a good, you know, five, 6,000 feet above you by the time it gets here. So, um, and it could be, you're right. It could be snowing above your head, not reaching the ground yet. And that's why, that's why we call it Virga. Yeah. But he brings up a good point because you could see that at times where, you know, you are overshooting the snow showers. Oh, that's, yeah. Uh, and that's the other point. In. Yeah. You're right, Mike. So I've been in situations where I'm watching a, a streamer of snow showers coming through upstate New York. Um, it looks like, okay, well, it must just be stopping in the Poconos. And then all of a sudden, you'll start seeing the extension of that snow shower showing up on the Mount Holly radar in New Jersey. And you go, oh, oh, wait a minute. You know, <laughs> we're just losing it in between it's basically the basically just the opposite, radar. right? The, the, snow, the snow squall or the snow shower it's, itself is below the radar beam to the point where, oh, the radar is not picking it up. But yet there right. it is. And this is where you have to be cognizant of that. And you have to look at your satellite picture and note that, hey, that cloud stream is still there. Even though it's disappearing on the radar, the clouds are there. So that means the snow shower is holding together. So, <laughs> so you, 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 you can't always trust what the radar and sure is sure enough, you go you, to a camera where you see that cloud band on the IR satellite and, 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 and voila, you got, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's snowing like crazy on a certain part, part of the camera. 
So Ken, I, I appreciate the questions you're asking. Do you have any more questions uh, weather-wise uh, before we wrap this thing up? Because, hey, we've been hitting you with questions. Why not get us, right? <laughs> I'm, sure, uh, I'm sure I will have more at some point, and I, I definitely know who to reach out to. Perfect. Well, again, Ken, I, I do appreciate you being on the uh, Weather Lounge podcast with us today. It's been great getting your insight on, on the road department and how you deal with winter storms. So thanks again for being here with us. I appreciate you having me. All right. And that's it for our Weather Lounge podcast for this week. We'll be back in two weeks to have another episode for you guys. So be sure to visit back and also Find WeatherWorks at weatherworksinc.com. That's our parent company. And find WeatherWorks on all the social media channels. You can find everything from us there too. So thanks again for everybody listening. And hey, don't be afraid to leave us a review of the podcast. It helps push everything forward for us. So thanks a lot, everybody. And we'll see you soon.